Hello, I am Heidi and welcome to Heidi's Lemonade Stand, where we talk to real people and share true stories of overcoming life's challenges. We are taking life's lemons and making lemonade. Thank you for joining me. Hi, Mallory. Welcome to Heidi's Lemonade Stand. I'm so looking forward to getting to know you and hearing your story. So start out by telling me just a couple of things about yourself. Uh, well, I am a mom of two little girls, a five and a three-year-old, and I have a bachelor's degree in healthcare administration. I ended up getting that, thinking that the healthcare industry would be the place that I could help the most people. But I actually ended up in a career of motivational speaking and becoming an author. So <laughs> turned quickly. Yeah, a little bit of a change. <laughs> yep. Hey, there's got to be a reason for that. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. Um, I was actually listening to a couple of your other podcasts and I was born in Sandy. Um, yeah. Raised Uh-oh. in Murray, but only until I was about seven and okay, then we all okay. came down here. So, okay, so you I'm moved not away. from any of the high school. Okay. Okay. But, all right. We can still be friends then. <laughs> yes. But, um, loved Salt Lake, but my whole family kind of migrated here. Um, I okay. do have a couple grandparents still up there, but um, yeah, it's been great being here in St. George with this weather. So, oh yeah, beautiful, much, much warmer part of Utah than Salt Lake is, especially right now. So that's <laughs> yeah. awesome. All yeah. right. Well, take me back and tell me what was your lemon to lemonade experience? What happened? Ah, uh, so I grew up, um, with a single mom that struggled with alcoholism and my dad has, never really been involved in my life, never was um, in the early years. I am the youngest of five girls, but my closest sister is 10 years older than me. And so uh, the other three have been on my dad's side and I've actually never met. Um, But me and my closest sister had a different, different father. So my sister had a very good relationship with her dad um, and still does. Uh, Growing up though, through my mom's alcoholism, she was fighting demons that me as a child, you know, I couldn't comprehend at the time. It brought a lot of instability as far as just, you know, any type of routine or consistency in my life as a child going to school. But I loved school. I was a straight A student. I tried to join any committee that I could. And um, it wasn't until a little later on that I realized that that was my coping mechanism, right? For, for, the home life that I was having and don't get me wrong there, you know, there was a lot of good too, but in the moments that were really dark, um, for my mom's addiction, I knew my life was different than, you know, the other kids. And, um, I'd see parents come pick up the children from the pickup line with moms and dads. And, um, just very early on this mindset was starting to be created of like, why wasn't I enough? Why is my mom having a hard time? Why can't I fix that? Um, I just had to really start focusing on school um, so that I wasn't going into a negative mindset. So about the time I hit uh, middle school, high school time, I joined the yearbook committee, the student council. I became a cheerleader I was also in the honor society. And what that was is you could go to the high school and the college and your college classes would count for your high school so that you could graduate early. At the time, I didn't realize that that was probably the worst scenario for me because one, it put me in a lot of positions where I was hanging out with kids that were older than me. 
a lot older. And I was about 13 at this time. And I had a boyfriend for, you know, the last couple months. Uh, He was actually a little older than me too. And so I got to spend a lot of time with him at the college. (laughs) That relationship didn't end up very well, but I ended up uh, after I went through a cheating situation with what I thought was this like love of my life. I went downhill pretty quickly. I started going to parties that the college was holding. I was drinking a lot. Before I knew it, the drinking went from alcohol to marijuana to oxycodone to heroin um, and eventually to intravenous methamphetamine use. That's so many, so many drugs. I have people that are like, how did it spiral like that, you know, so quickly? I mean, it it wasn't quickly, but it was definitely a development of a lot of different variables. And one of those being my mentality at the time, um, I would have done anything to be accepted, to be loved, to fit in, to feel normal, because I knew that like my situation just wasn't normal and I wanted to feel normal so badly. And to me, I justified it. Like I'm in high school, I'm in college. Like this is what college students do. And um, yeah, I just, I included myself and that's where everything spiraled. Yeah, um, just was, trying to fit in with people that were older than you too. So you're doing a lot of more adult type things at such a young age, which then gets you hooked on it so easy and you're so vulnerable. And, and I always compare it like that boiling frog, you know, where that, with there's a pot of boiling water, he's going to jump right out. But if it's right. a slow turn up, you know, it starts out lukewarm and gets warmer and warmer. You don't even realize how hot it is. And so yeah, I can don't... see that's how that happened with your drug use. You just yeah. a little bit more and another try this and do this. Yeah. And you would have said and no, if... had it been the very first hardest thing. It would have been the, no, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. Yeah. The more, the more abrupt, you know, things are, the easier it is to recognize like, oh no, this is not good. But when it's the steps are so small, they just kind of intertwine. And before you know it, you're like, holy cow, where am I? Um, What have I done? Yeah. yeah, What have I done? And that's exactly what happened to me. I was standing in a courtroom facing 30 years in prison up to 30 years in prison at the age of 19 years old is how quickly it spiraled. My first arrest, it was pretty crazy because I was kind of living with a new boyfriend at the time, just, you know, not living, but I was, I was staying there enough to, we'll call it living. And he had introduced me to oxycodone. The oxycodone addiction or addiction was so difficult because you only have a window of time before you go into a withdrawal, right? Which, and that, that window is about 12 hours from your last use. So there was this constant fear of this window of time where you had to find your use. You had to find your high, you had to find your dose and you were constantly fighting. And that, and, you know, obviously now I know like, that's what makes the addict steal and lie it's because it's this fear and survival that our mentality gets stuck in when it comes to addiction. So I ended up deciding about six months into an oxycodone addiction that I didn't want to do it anymore. Um, My boyfriend thought I was crazy at the time and kind of laughed at the, he's like, you know, you're going to withdraw, right? I'm like, yeah, I know. So I went through three days of one of the most painful withdrawals that I had ever faced at the time. 
and I couldn't sleep for three days. I was showering um, in the shower, just laying on the floor, just begging, you know, if there's a God, please take this away. I grew up with spirituality, um, but because of my mom's addiction, I think I, I had a really hard time having faith and, you know, believing that there was something that loved me more than I loved myself. Um, so that's why I worded it that way. Um, so it was May of 2013. It was, I woke up Mother's Day morning and I hadn't talked to my mom, you know, a little bit here and there, but not much. And I called her and I, I'm crying and I go, mom, I'm clean. I want to come home. Happy Mother's Day, basically. And she was like, okay, let's all go to breakfast. So me, her and my sister went to breakfast and, and it was a reunion. Like I had completely dropped my family and um, dropped everything that meant anything to me. Um, I got kicked off the cheer squad. I got thrown out of the yearbook committee and all these consequences were happening because of the choices I was making. Um, same with my family and, and we, you know, the closeness that we've had over the years. Um, so it was a great day. It was amazing. And I told my mom, I go, I just want to come home. And she goes, okay, your sister can go help you pack all your things. And you know, the things you have over there and, and just come home and break up with your boyfriend. And I was like, okay, deal done. So my sister and I start heading back to my boyfriend's house to go get my things. And the second I pull my car in the driveway, St. George SWAT hits the house. Um, they grab me open or open my door, grab me, throw me on the concrete, put me in shackles and throw me up against the tree. And they just completely tear apart our entire house and car and everything. And my sister's right there screaming like, no, don't touch her. She's clean, please. She's coming home. It was really in that moment that I realized just because I had decided to get clean didn't mean that there wasn't a price to pay for the wreckage I had caused already. Um, so I ended up going to jail for about a week and my boyfriend ended up going to jail uh, for about five months and then he was ordered to do drug court. I got out within a week and when I went back to the house my mom's like I'm going to take you to your boyfriend's house this time. I was like okay so she takes me there well what are the odds evidence of drugs which are still left in the room and me being the addict you know what an addict's mind does it's I can have one more. I can do it one more time. Um, it won't hurt. Um, and that one use ended up lasting three and a half months of intravenous methamphetamine use to the point where I was arrested on 15 felonies, 14 misdemeanors. And I was facing some very hard time. They gave me the chance to go to drug court. I failed. I, they gave me a chance to do inpatient rehab. I failed that as well. And then they gave me a chance to do kind of a dual diagnosis outpatient. And I eventually failed that as well. I remember specifically one time coming home and my mom had a file on this table and she was just bawling her eyes out. And I pulled the file from her and I start going through it. And basically it was just validations of everything that I had built within my mind, as far as the, my beliefs and what I thought of myself and it was lost cause won't get through treatment, prison sentence, just everything that really helped me validate the bad mentality I was in. 
what was it that you were being arrested for? Was it drug use or was it like also theft and things like that? Yeah. So um, the people I was hanging around um, obviously were doing the same thing I was doing. All I wanted was my high. All I wanted was to use. We were driving around one night trying to get, find more. We had ran out. So we, I was like getting sleepy at the time. Well, apparently I had fallen asleep. He parked at um, a golf course to go siphon gas to put in the vehicle. And it was kind of like a van, like, you know, those like kidnapper vans that they explain, yeah. uh, um, only to be woken up to an officer banging on the window with flashlights. He opens the door and needles fall out onto the concrete. And so they pull me out of the car. They search the vehicle, the back of the van and come to find out every tool was stolen. So they charged me a felony for every item that was in the back of the vehicle. Um, while they searched for the driver, um, he ran and then they pulled me into the St. George police interrogation room and started questioning me after they pulled all the items out of the van and let all the owners come get them and sit and look like I had to sit there and people were just like, you know, F you, you're a terrible person. Hope you go to heck. Um, so yeah, it was, it was terrible. It was a terrible moment. So yeah, I was arrested on, um, burglary, possession of burglary tools, theft, uh, yeah, drugs, paraphernalia. So I am standing in the courtroom facing 30 years in prison. The judge is about to sentence me and this guy comes into the courtroom that I've never seen before. And he asks the judge if he can speak with him. Um, after a short time, the judge looks at me and goes, Mal, I don't know what Chuck can do for you, but I'm sentencing you to a three-year private probation, zero tolerance, and dismissed us. I couldn't believe what was happening. Um, a private probation is a check-in once a month. So uh, that was really strange after failing as many programs as I had failed. Uh, so anyway, I meet this guy. Um, what do I do? I do what addicts do. I go mess up again that night. And he calls me in the next day and says, Hey, Mel, I need you to come to my office. And I go in there and I know I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. screwed. Yeah. <laughs> he grabs a paper off his fax machine and he starts filling it out. And I go, what's that? And he goes, it's the paper I'm sending to the judge. You are on a zero tolerance. Like you're going to prison. You're done. And I was like, please, please. No, I started bawling. I was like, please, I've gotten clean before I can get clean again. Um, please, please, please don't send that to the judge. And he stands up and he bangs his fists on the desk as hard as he can. And he goes, what the heck do I have to do to get you to want to live? And he goes, why didn't any of these programs work for you? And I sat there for a minute and I was crying and I just thought, I don't want to be punished into recovery. I want to be inspired. I want to want this. And I don't. Death for me was the easy way out. I had already destroyed my life and everyone I knew to the point of there, it, it would have been harder to, to just get clean. And uh, from that moment, he stared there for a long moment and looked at me and uh, he grabbed the paper and he ripped it up and he threw it away. And he goes, I'm giving you one more chance because I believe in you. And I said, okay. He goes, you're going to call me every day for the next six months. And you're going to, if I don't answer, leave me a one minute voicemail. If I do answer, we'll talk about your day. So it'll tell me two things. One, if you're clean and two, if you're alive. I was like, okay, deal. 
So every day for the next six months, uh, I called Chuck. And this process is one of the most important processes in my whole story because not only was Chuck fulfilling this void of never having a father that had tormented me for so long, but the fact that he would answer more than not, um, he made me feel important. He enjoyed hearing about my day and he was loving me until I was strong enough to love myself. Um, it was my favorite part of the day. Um, he encouraged me to go back to school and to get my degree that the school said I wouldn't be able to with the charges I have because there's a background check at the end of the healthcare industry. And I signed up for it anyway because he told me to, he's like, just follow your heart, just go with, you know, health, healthcare. So two and a half years later, I get a knock on my door and it's about 9 p.m. at night and I open the door and there's an envelope on the mat. I open the envelope and the first paper is a congratulation completion paper of probation releasing me. And the second paper is a full 402 reduction clearance of every, every charge and every conviction I've had on my record, um, freeing me from ever being a felon. That was truly like the day I was freed and I knew that my past wasn't going to hold me back. So the next six months of my life were the best, most amazing. I was enjoying life for real this time. And uh, my boyfriend proposes. It was actually really hard for me because I'm like, oh, no. Like, my first thought was, who's going to walk me down the aisle? Like, I don't have a dad. And uh, my fiance goes, why don't you ask Chuck? So for about the next six to eight months, um, I try calling Chuck. I leave messages, but I don't tell him why I'm calling. You know, I want to hear the excitement on his voice. And I'm going to ask him to walk down the aisle, call, no answer, call, no answer to the point where I didn't know if it was just a conflict of interest because I had graduated that he could not talk to me anymore. So I kind of left it alone and I decided to ask my grandpa to walk me uh, the day before my wedding. We we're packing everything up to go to New Harmony. Uh, I get a phone call from a number I've never seen before and I answer the phone and it's Chuck's best friend, Bobby. And he goes, Mal, I'm sorry to be the one to tell you this, but for the last four months, Chuck has been uh, diagnosed and fighting for his life, pancreatic cancer. And today they're putting him on hospice and he wants to see you. He, I hang up the phone. I run to my fiance, I go, I gotta go. And and Bobby sends me the address and I get in my car and I drive as fast as I can to get to Chuck's house. My hair's a mess. I'm still in like packing clothes and the stress of the wedding. And it was just a lot. And he was all I cared about. So I get to his house and his whole family is there. His wife and I had only met a couple of times, but uh, I go knock on the door and she opens it. She grabs my hand and she takes me to his room. And the second that door opens, I just uncontrollably just couldn't, I couldn't fathom what was happening. My head was like, how can someone that has helped so many people and has just been such a light in this world be taken like this? He had lost about a hundred pounds and I sat down on the side of his bed and his wife sat on the left and I put my hand on his and I could feel the removed bandages and IVs. He goes, Mal, I want you to know you have my blessing. 
And I go, I was trying to call you to see if you'd walk me down the aisle. And he had a hard time, you know, breathing at this time, but he muffled it and he was like, I don't think I'm going to be able to make it now. He goes, Mel, I need you to know, I need you to know that you were never a lost cause. And I'm so thankful that I got the opportunity to fight for you. He goes, I need you to do me one more thing. I go, okay. And he goes, I need you to promise me that you're going to tell your story. He gave me my life back. I go, of course, I promise. That day, leaving that room, I knew that that was going to be the last time I was ever going to see my hero again. Uh, I went from the worst day of my life to the best day of my life in 24 hours. And at the end of my wedding, I sat there for a minute and watched the sunset. And I just thanked Chuck for everything that he had done for me. Four days later, Bobby called me to let me know that he had died. And it uh, took me about a year and a half to figure out how I was going to fulfill that promise. Um, my number one side effect from my addiction has been my memory. You know, it's just not as good as it used to be. And so I got fearful that I was going to forget all the amazing times that Chuck and I had. So I grabbed a journal and I started writing down everything I could possibly remember, everything he taught me, every lesson, every piece of advice, every encouragement, affirmation. And I filled the entire journal. And I looked at my husband and I go, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to write, I'm going to write my story. I'm going to tell my story. Um, never thought I would write a book. And it has been one of my most, my most important accomplishments that I have ever um, been able to do. This is my book, Inspired to Recover. Um, the art on the front stands for I Choose to Live, which is my um, foundation that I raise money to help the addict and help the family heal. Um, and it's also on my arm. So that's a tattoo for you to see. <laughs> In the very front of the book is... Uh, dedication to Chuck. Now I spend my days and my life telling my story and changing lives and helping others. So amazing. Everybody needs a Chuck. That's, yeah. that's amazing what that has oh, done yeah. for you. And now you are the Chuck for other people. You get to uh, yeah, pass that on. I want to be, I want to be. That's amazing. One thing I get asked a lot is, you know, what did Chuck do for you that made the biggest difference and honestly love is our biggest resource love is the most healing and there's a reason why everyone in this world wants it so badly I had no love for myself or life or purpose the fact that he could rewire my brain by practice and by just being there and being the cheerleader when, when my mind was negative after doing that for, you know, so many days or months, like your brain literally will rewire itself to start changing your mentality, changing your mindset, changing the, po the negative to positive. And when you're loved and you're, you're able to grow in this, this place of freedom and, and no judgment and, you really just can be vulnerable with getting to know yourself and you know, you're going to be loved no matter what for that. Like 
it just completely boosts the power of your growth. You can do anything at that point, right? Absolutely. What an incredible, I mean, talk about lemons to lemonade to be able to accomplish this when you were at the lowest of lows and and now bringing others up. So yes, we've got to end with you reading your forward, your dedication to Chuck for sure. Yep. And uh, the one thing I never actually got, even though this is just audio, but one thing I never got with Chuck was a picture. And that was really hard for me for a long time. Um, so his wife just sent me, you know, some photos to have of him, but, uh, for Christmas, this last Christmas, um, my husband got me a big painting, um, of me and him together. So it was, it was a pretty cool best gift I've ever gotten. Um, and now it hangs in our living room. So inspires me every single day when I have days that are hard. Cause I do, and we all do, you know, Yeah. but I think, the important thing is that we use our experiences to help other people and Absolutely. everything happens for a reason. You know, Todd, Todd said on his podcast with me, life happens for us. And I never really understood what that meant until I realized when I was searching for what my purpose was and what job I wanted in early recovery, I never thought I would write a book. I never thought I'd be a speaker traveling the country, telling people my story and helping them believe in love themselves. Like it's beyond me. And it's such a blessing that I get to do this every day. So. Oh, I'm so glad. So glad you're using your gift. Wow. Thank you. Wow so powerful. I love this so much. It was so great to meet you. And I'm so proud of you. I mean, quitting an addiction is, Ooh, there's just, yeah, that's, it's very powerful and you did it. And now you're, you're doing all these amazing things. Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing with me. It's a beautiful, beautiful story. I appreciate being here and super grateful for what you're doing. And it allows, you know, other people to use their story and to really help people that you know, we need each other to reach. So yeah, I'm so glad. I'm glad people have you so they can turn to you and get the support that they need. So look at you with your great husband and two little kids and a life that you never thought you would have speaking, writing, encouraging people. And, you know, you were, you were almost dead 10 years ago. It's just, it's amazing. What, what a little love can do. Yep. Absolutely. I love this so much. Oh, yes. I want to meet you. So let's do it. You're still here? Well, then enjoy this little outtake from that interview. And how long ago was it that Chuck died? How long is it? Um, So August of 2018. Okay. Yeah, it feels like it's yesterday. So it does. Long. <laughs> it does. I know. And, and each day it's just another day. And you're like, wow, you can look back and go, wow, I'm doing it. Absolutely. Doing it. Yeah. Um, so the dedication for Chuck says, uh, Chuck Marshall, no one could ever comprehend what you were to me. I remember being introduced to you at the beginning of my probation and I was scared as hell. You had a stern facade that appeared unbreakable. The ones that you were closest to knew better. I know better. You taught me that life was worth living and then showed me how to create a life I loved. You taught me to stand tall and build my self-esteem. And in doing so, I found a love for myself and a will to live. You encouraged me to follow my dreams, despite how many people told me I could not reach them. 
You taught me how to be independent, how to set boundaries, and to never be ashamed of my past. Thank you for being a father I never had. You helped me heal a void that changed my life forever just by you being you. Expressing my gratitude does not feel like enough to repay you for your love and your support. Without you, my life would have been much different. I was facing death, institutions, and prison, yet you showed me a different way. Of all the people in the world I could have had as a probation officer, I thank God every day it was you. You lived a life of purpose and drive, and you were always rooting for the underdog with compassion and support. As a child, we all hope to grow up to be like our hero. In that vein, I hope to make a portion of the impact you did. You are incredibly missed, but God needed you more. I owe you my life, and I am forever grateful. P.S. I still promise. His, or me and his wife are super close and um, something that we will share for the rest of our lives. Yeah. And I was thinking with him being a probation officer, I love how he made you feel like you were the most important person and that he loved you and cared about you. But meanwhile, he probably had hundreds of people yeah. that he had that effect on. It's yeah. Amazing. It wasn't until after to his death where there was a big page that came out and everyone got to share all these things and how many things he's done in Cali and different states all over the country and just so loved by so many. Oh, wow. What a gift that you got to know him. It's amazing. Yes. I love that. I have enjoyed spending this time with you. You might have a friend struggling with the same thing that we talked about in this episode that might enjoy listening to this too. So please share this episode because no one is alone at the lemonade stand.